Tabletop Radio Hour, your podcast for everything tabletop. My name's Zach, and this week I have both of my co-hosts. I have Mark and Steve. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm sorry, Zach, that information is classified. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny the fact that I'm, in fact, doing very well. <laughs> wow. Going with a little theming thing here. Yeah, Alan, this is what we have to deal with every week. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad I'm only on once in a while. <laughs> Um, and Steve, how are you today? Meh. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and we have a very special guest today. We have Alan Barr. Alan, how are you today? Uh, I'm not very special, but I'm doing okay. You are very special to us Aww. because you make games that we can buy and play. Ooh, hey, well, I like that. The buying part specifically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, Alan. Sure. So I'm Alan Barr of uh, Gallant Night Games and Nocturnal Media. I make primarily role-playing games, but tabletop games of all stripes. Very nice. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your past creations. Sure. Um, So uh, anybody familiar with my work uh, obviously knows most of this, but Planet Mercenary was my first big thing. Uh, The... Schlock Mercenary role-playing game, 340 grand on Kickstarter, you know, did that. That's out now in the public. You can buy that. Uh, the Tiny D6 line is another one of mine uh, called Shadows, which I did under Nocturnal. Uh, I, used to, I was, Gallant Night Games was actually owned by Nocturnal for a while, and I worked directly with Stuart Week before he passed away last June. Um, hmm. And uh, so I worked there. I, I still work at Nocturnal under uh, the new, his wife and his brother who now run it as their project manager and producer. Um, and then Gallant Night Games spun back out where we do Tiny D6, which is Tiny Dungeon, Tiny Frontiers, Tiny Mech and Monsters, stuff like that. Um, and then Cold Shadows, the Spy RPG. And we are doing the new edition of the classic West End Games D6 system under license from Nocturnal, who owns West End Games. Oh, very so cool. Be, that'll be coming out next year after Gen Con. Uh, only, awesome. uh, an official second edition of the classic D6 system for Western games. Ooh, that is too slick. Very I nice. love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a, a very impressive resume, my friend. Well, thank you. Um, but yeah, so we're going to take kind of a normal run with our episodes, and we are going to start out with Wish of the Week. In Wish of the Week, we talk about anything we are excited for, from video games to movies to RPGs. I'm going to start with our guest, Alan. Uh, Alan, is there anything you are excited for out in the world? Oh, man. Well, I just saw Thor Ragnarok yesterday, so that would have been my wish if I hadn't already seen it, I suppose. Exactly. Uh, But I'm still reeling from how good it was, so I guess I'm excited to see it again with my wife this week, so... (laughs) Yeah, that's that's fair. That's definitely fair. That was an amazing uh, movie. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I also saw it yesterday. So Nice. I'm still I it's on my list. Any minute yeah. now. But if you want something new, I'm excited because we should be able to turn the PDF for Cold Shadows live and for the public sale sometime in the next week. Ooh. That's great. That's awesome. Uh, let's move down to Mark. Mark, is there anything you're excited for? Well, well, the segue there, I, you know, of course I backed the the Kickstarter, so I got the uh, Cold Shadows PDFs and I've been uh, going through that with, uh, with extreme enthusiasm. Um, and it's, it's kind of forced me to break out some of my old uh, spy movies and spy novels and start rewatching <laughs> some of those. So I've been enjoying that. And uh, yeah, it, it's really been a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Alan, we can't get this guy to shut up about your game. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, if you buy it, he will probably shut up, and then I will make money. So it's a win-win-win. <laughs> There's that. 
Yeah. The, the thing the thing is, he won't shut up about it. <laughs> well, I guess you'll just have to play it with him. Well, I, I guess. think, I, I, if I remember right, I was trying to remember the map, but I think one of our first Wish of the Weeks was uh, I brought up Cold Shadows uh, when it was mm-hmm. still in the early Kickstarter phase. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. uh, one, of, yep. one of my first Wish of the Weeks was Cold Shadows, and now here we are. We're bringing it back. Wish granted. <laughs> yeah, Mark, Mark's a huge espionage RPG fan, so yeah, oh, yeah. he's got a long track record with that that genre. Oh, me yeah. too, so we'll get along great. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> uh, now, Steve and I are going to go. Mark, you, you uh, it looks like you found a friend. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, it's true. No, no, oh. no. Um, awesome. Yeah, but well, Steve, my what, wish? what's your wish of the week? Oh, my gosh. Well, I just binge-watched uh, Season 2 of Stranger Things with all the D&D references and da-da-da. So I'm just going to go ahead and say Season 3 of Stranger Things, which is probably not going to be out for ages. So <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, but um, I'm, I'm also currently watching it so uh a oh, no spoilers steve don't oh, don't be that guy they all die and uh <laughs> it's like it's like lost that's all i'm gonna say um yeah wait i, I mean it's like really disappointing at the end or like what <laughs> <laughs> no they they're all dead to begin with oh <laughs> so meta yeah <laughs> it's like twin peaks oh. with kids oh man <laughs> Oh, this is getting brutal. I'm going to stop you before <laughs> before this gets somewhere we don't need I, to I have never seen Stranger Things. <laughs> oh, it's it's excellent. It's excellent. You Every, would love it. Everybody says that. I watched the first episode and went, eh. Yeah, yeah. And then I kind of just haven't turned it back on ever. Once yeah. again, we're going along fine because that's exactly what happened to me. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, okay. Oh, you, you two can play your spy games and <laughs> Zach and I are going to go on and binge watch some Stranger Things. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Cap it off with yeah, I, uh, Ron Hughes I got film. excited for that, that, uh, either the first or the second episode of the second season. And, um, and conveniently enough, the next day I was at the dollar store getting, picking up a couple things and there was, um, Ghostbusters one and two for like huh. six bucks. And I was like, Hey, I just saw some kids dressed up as these guys, because uh, <laughs> I I've I've seen them time and time again, but I never had had the movies physically. So, uh, so yeah, I picked that up and I I immediately watched all of one and two nice. of, uh, of Ghostbusters. Those are great movies. They really yes. are. Oh my gosh, I forgot how much I loved it <laughs> until I watched it again. That's like oh, but perfect Halloween. But yeah. for me, for me, for Wish of the Week is. Might be a lot like last time we recorded. It's it's gonna be anticlimactic for everybody listening, but but the guys. But um, <laughs> I'm I'm getting excited about my my little baby creation, uh, my game that I'm working on. Um, yeah, I've been writing like crazy every day, words on words, and until my hand hurts. Very cool. But um, does, does it have yeah, a name yet? I'm excited? No, not yet. Okay. Okay. It doesn't even have a premise yet. I'm still working <laughs> on that. The words are no. just all all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Copy paste. Copy paste. Copy paste. Right. Yeah. 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 Yep. <laughs> That'll be it for this segment of Wish of the Week. Now into the real meat of the conversation. Uh, Alan, we will be throwing questions at you left and right, so be prepared. I'm ready. Let's do this. <laughs> uh, the The real meat of everything, I think, is going to be Cold Shadows, uh, just based on the recent release or uh, the recent funding and, and soon-to-be release of the full game. Sure. Um, but I think we're going to take a left turn and uh, just tell me a little bit about the Tiny series. Yeah, so Tiny D6 is a is our it's actually our flagship rule set at Galenite Games. It's a, a minimalist role playing game. So the base mechanics are to do something you roll two D6. If one of the dice is a five or six, you do the thing. If you have advantage, you get three dice. If you have disadvantage, you only get one dice. That's it. That's the whole game. There are no skills. All attacks do one damage. When you make your character, you pick your heritage or race or whatever, your archetype, and then you pick three traits, and traits will be something like you get advantage on strength tests because you're strong or something, and then you play. 
<laughs> and then you, you play and have fun. You can, you can, fit, a, you can fit a character on a note card, a three by five note card. Easy. That's, with with that's their really equipment. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I, I enjoy, I saw you, you recently on Kickstarter had the tiny, tiny dungeon, dungeon second, second edition. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was definitely looking at that. Um, yeah, it did really yeah. well. It was our uh, best gallant night games Kickstarter. Yeah, that's great. That is really great. Yeah. And, um, now, and yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting concept for for something to have, a, you know, light crunch and you know just just an easy kind of get right into the game kind of system. Now, yeah, it's it's great for one offs and conventions and stuff too because it's super transportable. You just need a pile of dice, some pencils, and uh, you know, the three by five note cards. Dive right in there. Hey, um, I noticed you've got tiny dungeons for you know D and D type and tiny frontiers for sort of a sci fi twist. Did Cold Shadows start off as tiny spies or something? Or did no, that? it did not. <laughs> okay, it did okay. not. Uh, so Cold Shadows uh, started off. I watched the Night Manager miniseries with Tom Hiddleston and oh, uh, Hugh Laurie. Uh, and first of all, that's fantastic. It is the single best produced for television spy thing ever made. Hmm. Uh, nice. If you like spy stuff, you need to go watch the Night Manager. Frankly, if you like spy stuff and you haven't seen it, then you don't really like spy stuff in my opinion. <laughs> you, you, need to step, you, need to, you need to step up. Uh, the Night Manager. Okay, writing this down. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it, it won a bunch of awards. I've got to ask Mark, have you seen this? I no, I haven't. Oh, that I'm disappointed. I have I have homework to do. Yes, I agree. (laughs) Uh, It's fantastic. It's a it's like a six or seven episode miniseries, self contained. Um, But Tom Hiddleston stars as the night manager. Um, And I I don't want to ruin it, but it's based on a John Le Carre novel. Familiar with the novel called The Night Manager. Shockingly. and it's a fantastic modern adaptation of a Cold War spy novel. They maintain all of the Cold War feeling while moving it into the modern era. Nice. Which is very yeah, hard to very do. Nice. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so my wife and I watched that because I'm a big John le Carre fan. He's my, uh, he's my second favorite author. I have all of his books. Like I read them regularly, repeatedly. I love John le Carre. Um, when it coming out, I was like, well, uh, there's no way I am not watching this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so bought it on Amazon. Because it was on some channel I don't have because I'm a cord cutter. And uh, <laughs> I went, man, why is – like I have a bunch of spy RPGs, right? I've got Spycraft. I've got Covert Ops. I've got White Lies. I've got – you know, there, there's, there's plenty of spy RPGs, and I have most of them, if not all of them. And I went, but there is not one spy RPG that lets me do Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy or The Night Manager. It's true. And I was like, those are the stories I want to tell when I want to tell spy stories. I don't want to tell Mission Impossible or, uh, you know, James Bond. Those stories have their place, and I have games that do that, and I love those games. But when I when somebody says, I want to play a spy game, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, to me, is the definitive spy experience. Like the Gary Oldman movie, like, that is what I want my game to feel like. And none of my games do that easily. And I wanted a game that did that easily. And I was like, what would I do? Like, and mechanics are my favorite thing to create. So I was like, oh, I guess I can create some new mechanics. And I started thinking about it. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that uh, the excellent uh, John Wick Presents role-playing game Blood and Honor mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. is basically what I wanted it to be. Because Blood and Honor is you play samurai who serve a clan, but the clan is bigger than the samurai. And so like, you make your samurai, but then what the clan has actually matters more to the metagame. There's like this like meta aspect of management. Um, and I was like, oh, that'd be such a great rule set to adapt. And I'm, I'm friends with uh, Ben Warner. We've worked together many times. And he did an expansion for Samurai Noir called World of Dew. That's based on Blood and Honor. Mm-hmm. And at Gen Con last uh, two years ago now, it would have been 2016 at Gen Con, I sat down with Ben for dinner about some work stuff. And we were just talking. And I was like, hey, I have a crazy idea. I want to run it by you. And I said, I want to do John le Carre spy novel RPGs based on the blood and honor rule set. And Ben like looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> and I was like, Oh crap. He thinks I'm nuts. He's like, Oh my God, you're brilliant. He's like, that's <laughs> the best idea I've ever heard. You know, I'm, he probably didn't say that, but I, I like to think he said that's the best idea he's ever heard. And I'm brilliant. 
Um, but he was very, and he knows, he knows John Wick of John Wick Presents. So I was like, well, Hey, right. do you mind, you know, uh, sending an email and introduce me so I can start this process? Like got to license the rule set. want to do it all above board, you know, no reason to do anything, you know, bad. And, uh, mm. so, uh, so anyway, we leave, we leave dinner and he texts me like an hour later. He's like, so I ran into John as I was leaving the restaurant <laughs> and I told him and he loves your idea. I'm going to send you an email introducing you. And then. Uh, three months later, we were on Kickstarter with Cold Shadows. Nice. Wow. That's that is perfect. beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. <laughs> and John Wick Presents, as a, as a whole, they've been fantastic to work with. They've been super supportive. They helped promote it. They, you know, lended their expertise when we adapted the rule set. They were, they were fantastic to work with. Right. Yeah, yeah, That that's amazing. So if you, if you don't know us here at the podcast, we are big fans of John Wick because uh, we are absolutely nutso about Seventh Sea. <laughs> I, am, kind of I have game. all of it on my shelf. Nice. You will, including first and second edition. I am, I am very much a seven C fan. Yes. Very cool. Then we will, we will get along fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, I love blood and honor. I think blood and honor is my favorite game he's ever made. I'll and, have to, uh, to definitely check it out. I, I can't recommend it enough, especially if you love samurai stories. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got, um, I'd gotten reflections by Jim McClure. Okay, based on a single moment by Toby Abad. Yeah, Toby works uh, with me regularly. He worked on Cold Shadows. Well, that's awesome. But yeah, uh, that kind of story is is kind of uh, you will you will love Blood and Honor. Know, I enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. Your influences for Cold Shadows um, they obviously come from a, a you know pretty wide range of of different things. Um, you know, from, from the from the game to the theme to everything. So. I disagree with that, actually. Okay, yeah. Um, when you look at the espionage genre as a whole, it really falls into three categories, in my opinion. Um, you have action espionage, which is the Mission Impossible thing where the spy, I'm using air quotes around the word spy here, spy hmm. story is really less important than the awesome action. Right? Like, Mission Impossible okay. is really just an action movie with a spy, like, sprinkling on top. Now you're talking more mm-hmm. about the, the Mission Impossible movies than the original series, right? Very, very, very much so. No, okay. I, I don't know anybody who's seen the original series besides like me and a handful of people. That okay. Mark. Like, uh, well, well, yeah, of course. I've, yeah. So, yeah, I definitely use the movies. Um, okay. You know, and then the James Bond kind of falls into that. The newer Bonds are less that, but, you know, very much the Roger Moore, uh, Timothy Dalton, uh, Pierce Bronson era were spectacle driven. Oh, yeah. Stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have action espionage and then, um, you have, and I, I don't know if there's a good term for it. I call it uh, tension espionage. It's stories like Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy, or the night manager where mm. secrets and, you know, if somebody draws a gun, that means one person's dying and it's going to be over really fast. It's more like a Western in a sense, but with lots of secrets and tension. Um, mm-hmm. and you have those two. And then you have a, you have a third genre, which is. Um, sort of the G.I. Joe paramilitary espionage. Mm. And I, I distinguish that from Mission Impossible because most spy stories revolve around one character. The paramilitary stuff is like a team, right? Right. And the later Mission Impossibles have moved to the team aspect and they're more paramilitary espionage. Okay. But mm-hmm. but for the most part, they remain firmly in action paramilitary. They never yeah. really get into tension. And so in my eyes, there's, those are the three breakdowns of espionage. And I'm sure somebody much smarter than me can tell me why I'm horribly wrong. Um, <laughs> but it would be a spy. Yeah. I think right? <laughs> we have great spy RPGs like Spycraft and, you know, all these other games that do great versions of paramilitary or uh, adventure action. But there's, there's not good tension espionage. And I was very adamant when I started developing this thing. And when I worked with the design team that I hired to work with me, that we will, we are doing tension espionage. Like we are, we will, we will do put stuff in for the other stuff, but the whole game, the core of the game is about secrets and betrayal and tension. Like that is, that is this, there is, there's no room for the other thing except as a tangential, like appendix. (laughs) Like I wanted a laser focus on stuff like John le Carre or Daniel Silva or Robert Ludlum. Like, the tension, the mystery, the what's going on. Like that was our laser focus. That's great. Yeah, definitely. I can agree with that completely. And yeah, I don't think there's enough representation of that, that aspect of espionage in RPGs. So that's really perfect. Very true. No. Yeah. Paving the way for, for that 
you know, that branch of espionage games. Yeah. And I really just wanted it. I wanted a game that supported secrets and stories. Um, yeah. Around over, you know, action. And so I really worked hard at that. The information being the element of the game that matters more than the equipment you carry. Let's face it. That's the actual role playing part of the game anyway. So entirely, this is a very narrative game. And, you know, we like narrative games. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I know you pretty much are still putting a cap on on the I mean, have you, you know, are you done, you know, with updating rules, you know, everything? The the game, the game is out to backers in PDF. We're doing some Mm -hmm. last minute edits on it, but they're more like grammar edits mm-hmm. uh but so, the, ba- the backers have finished pdfs for all the books in the series all three books are out oh very nice um mm-hmm. so, so i know you know that's kind of done as far as development do you have any ideas for future developments for this <laughs> kind of series the second book in the series is written already <laughs> mm. um it's uh, I haven't ever talked about this publicly, so this is breaking news or something. Um, <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> I uh, we are doing a supplement around psychic spies, MK Ultra project. Uh, oh, yeah. stuff, the men who stare at goats kind of thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is too cool. Um, yeah. And so this actually happened. So last February, I went to a local convention called Life, the Universe and Everything, and I was their gaming guest of honor. They have a small game track. Um, and I was on a panel about espionage stuff and cold shadows was literally kickstarting at that time. So this one was like, this is, I'll plug my game repeatedly. Like, this would be great. <laughs> um, and we sit down and, you know, and the way, you know, we're, you know, there's five people behind this table and they're introducing the panelists on this panel and like, yeah, author, 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 Alan, um, who's doing an RPG. Um, and so they ask, you know, what's your, what's your uh, thing here? And I'm like, oh, I talked to, you know, over, over three dozen people in different countries who worked in you know, espionage industry stuff. Like I did a crap load of research, interviewed a lot of people <laughs> in different places. Uh, wow. You know, did my best. And I'm like, so, you know, everybody else is like, Oh, we mostly read stuff on the internet. And I'm like, so I'm, you know, I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, Oh, I'm probably the most qualified person here. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the guy to my left, he's like, I used to work in MK ultra. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and so we all stopped and we're like this guy this guy and he was like a supervisor in mk ultra holy oh, cow. and like he's like yeah oh, you can check out the you know they they released all these files and he's like if you go to my website you can see the part where my name is brought up and so like so i check his website the guy's legit like the government <laughs> files have his name in there as like a supervisor for like psychic wow. spies and so i'm like oh, i'm <laughs> just gonna shut up and listen to this guy talk <laughs> but uh anyway so at that point, Cold Shadows rules were already done. And I was like, oh, man, I didn't do anything with Psychic Spice. I missed the boat. Yeah. And so I wrote an expansion for Psychic Spice. Awesome. That's awesome. That's really great. But uh, in keeping with the theme of the real world, you know, the, the mechanics, you, the, if Psychic Spies are actually, you know, legit or crazy or what, that's all up to the narrator. And the Psychic Spy doesn't actually know. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. So he doesn't actually know if he's just getting real premonitions or if he's just lucky or what. Wow. Sounds great. Man, that's that's really that's really interesting. That really is. Man, that makes you think. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, this um, this gentleman lives about three hours from me, so I'm hoping to get a chance to go down and interview him before we get too far into this expansion. Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. That would be great. That's be a great resource. Worth yeah, yeah, entirely. I was like, oh man. <laughs> Um, so, so what originally got you into this hobby and, and really what turned it into a lifestyle more or less? Oh, uh, I I started playing D and D I was like 11 or 12, maybe 13. It was back then. Uh, it was at a scout camp. (laughs) We had one of the scout masters busted out D and D. Nice. And it was awesome. And I was like, this is the best thing ever. (laughs) <laughs> and, I, and I, I sort of never looked back. They it's didn't have been a badge a, for that, did they? No, they didn't. <coughs> they they, they, they have really a game did. design badge now. I've spoken to several scout really? about it. Oh, that's yeah. great. cool. Love it. Wow, that's but, uh, awesome. But uh, that's how I knew I made it is when I can qualify as a counselor for scout badge merit badges. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, that's so, beautiful. Yeah, so I mean, I just sort of fell into it and I played through high school and college, up through college. And around college, I remember going... Man, this is cool, but I really want to 
Okay, let me phrase that. So I, I the first thing I ever did was homebrew something, and it was awful. It was the worst. <laughs> it was like D and D. You know, I think it was even three It was even three point five. <laughs> it was like, and I homebrewed some weird construct race, and it was broken and stupid. And I still have it around here somewhere. But uh, and I quit homebrewing stuff, and then in college, I kind of started dinking around. And at that time, the the character optimization boards were big on the D and D websites. That was sort of the heyday of three, five uh, character optimizations. They had adventure writing contests and stuff like that. Um, and I started doing that stuff because it was fun and it was a way to stretch myself when I wasn't focused on schoolwork or whatever I was doing at the time. And uh, I kept losing these contests. Like, and so eventually one of the dudes who ran the contest reached out to me. He's like, dude, you keep submitting and we keep like, you could come in like near the end at last. Uh, so here's some pointers. Oh my God. It's like, you're clearly not going to stop submitting. So let me help you. <laughs> um, and he gave me a bunch of tips and, you know, I started doing better and I started getting more feedback and eventually I won some things and that got me some, you know, freelance work here or there, but it was always like a side hobby. Um, but I, you know, I loved, it. I was running two or three role-playing games a week. It was just, it was a big, it was my big thing. Like it was my big hobby. People knew me as the role-playing game guy. Um, and eventually Howard, who draw, used to draw a schlock mercenary at Dragon's Keep, a comic book game store where I used to work for a brief period in college. Uh, he, so he knew me from there. We, we were friends and I'd quit working there for a long time, but we were still friends. And, uh, he approached me and said, Hey, I know you've done dabbled in this stuff. I want to hear a pitch for this. And you really liked my pitch. And like I just said, oh, well, I thought about that, actually. Here's my pitch. And I gave it to him, like, right there on the spot. And he's like, that's a great pitch. You're hired. <laughs> wow. That is amazing. It was, sort of, it was sort of that. It was sort of that, like, 99% preparation for the moment that, like, the 1% luck comes along. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just, mm-hmm. It just sort of happened. To, I was, like, kind of accidentally prepared for everything. You know, you know how it is, right? Oh, you yeah. know, luck is 99% hard work, 1% luck. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> exactly. And uh, th- this exemplifies that. And so <laughs> we did Planet Mercenary. And it... It was always a side hobby until uh, Stuart Week at Nocturnal Media approached me and said, hey, we have a lot of projects here. I could use a project manager. Wow. And your projects have always been on time. Every pro- every uh, Kickstarter I, until Cold Shadows had delivered early. Hmm. Huh. Um, Cold Shadows right. is going to be my first late Kickstarter. Um, hmm. And he's like, and he, I'm like, well, I don't have time to do freelancing project management between my job and running Galenite Games. He's like, well, why don't I just buy your game company and give you a job? <laughs> and I was like, that's nice. a thing I am amenable to. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> don't, I mean, don't twist my arm. Twist my arm. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. Uh, true. Well, and Pendragon is my favorite RPG of all time. Ah, and Nocturnal okay. Media produces Pendragon. Mm-hmm. So it was it was pretty much a no brainer because I get to project manage and work alongside people like Greg Stafford and stuff. Um, and, that's with, awesome. and with Stuart Week, right. who you know founded uh, White Wolf. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I worked there, started working there in February, January, or actually it was December actually now it was December last year. Um, and we, cold shadows was the first thing we launched together. Um, and I do project management for a lot of, for some of the stuff. And then, uh, when he passed away in June, uh, unexpectedly, uh, his wife and his brother took over nocturnal and they kept me on part-time to help wrap up the existing projects and then manage new projects going forward. And then Gal and I gave him spun back out. And, uh, luckily I am in a position where I make enough that I can continue to do this full time. I have, I have been blessed and lucky to be where I am. It's great. Not a a lot of game designers get the lucky breaks I got here and there. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I know Mark had a question about Planet Mercenary. Well, I, I don't I don't know if you know this, but there's a kind of Kevin de, uh, Kevin Bacon-ish degrees of separation between you and I. <laughs> oh, um, no. Regular listeners uh, probably know that uh, my initial claim to fame was as the cr- uh, creator of the comic strip Zortic, which 15 years ago was on what at the time was the comic collective on the Internet where I got to work with and make friends with a lot of really great artists. And one of those artists was a young and upcomer named Howard Taylor. So, uh, you know, worked with Howard and, uh, you know, made friends with him. And uh, so I would, I would like to hear a little bit more about uh, your work with him and, and how uh, Planet Mercenary uh, developed and grew and how much input he gave. 
Yeah, well, I mean, Howard was very involved in Planet Mercenary. Um, my my job was functionally creating the rules from the ground up. We didn't want to license anything, so I wrote all the rules in that game. Okay. Um, but hey, I mean, Howard wrote the setting stuff, all that. Uh, I mean, uh, it was a like a. We started on that in 2013, and we just delivered in like July to backers this year. So I mean, I've been on this project for like four years. Wow. Yeah, it was, a, it was a long project. <laughs> um, it, it's, 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 I consider Planet Mercenary probably my second best work ever. Um, the rules are the right kind of narrative mixed with crunch. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I love Planet Mercenary. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's the best thing. Awesome. I, it's, it's so good. <laughs> like, it sounds really weird for me to say that. I don't normally brag about my stuff. But Planet Mercenary, <laughs> Planet Mercenary is amazing. Well, there's a um, lot of comic content to probably draw from. So yeah, uh, how was, much of that were you able to pull into? Uh, it was hard. Um, so when we started talking originally, you know, we sat down, we had our conversations, we wanted to use D sixes. We wanted to have a mechanic that introduced random, like sort of a randomness mechanic, a uh, chaos mechanic to the game. <laughs> um, and there was a lot of variations that we tried with that. Um, the thing I came up with is what, well, I came up with the core of the system, which we call D six mayhem. Hmm. Um, and what it is, is you roll three dice, six sided dice to do something, total them up, add your skill. You beat the TN, you do it pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Um, one of the dice is an odd color. So you'd have like, uh, you know, two green dice and a red dice. If the numerical value of the red dice is higher than any of the other numerical values on dice, you have to draw a card from the mayhem deck. Oh, wow. And there's this mayhem deck in the middle of the table. And sometimes it's beneficial. Sometimes it's crazy. Hmm. Like one, like one of them is called the happy dance card. And what it does is you draw it, you get a critical, which is great. But then you have, if you, and then you have to do your happy dance. And if the player can do it, compelling enough happy dance, the GM will give you what's called a role play point. And role play points are sort of like a meta currency that you can spend to do things. That's awesome. Love it. Um, Love it. I mean, some, some of them are bad. Some of them are like, Oh, your gun jams at the worst possible moment. Or you accidentally you accidentally undermined the captain in front of everybody, you know, stuff like that. Uh, oh man, him. So it's good, bad, and we've actually these mayhem decks. They're they're the equivalent of two regular decks of playing cards, and we've broken them down into eight eight suits, actually. And then so you can actually break out of like a poker deck and play poker if you really wanted. Oh wow! But, but uh, there's different really cool. suits, and the different suits have different effects. So you can pull out suits if you want something less violent and more comedic. You know, you pull out. Some of the you pull out the kill and burn and bleed suits, and then you're going to be left with you know other stuff. Um, Very nice. And so you can you can sort of use the mayhem deck to adjust or customize your game feel to what that's your a, group wants. That's a great mechanic. I love it. Yeah, um, very cool. Very good. That's the second best mechanic in the game. I'm going to tell you the best mechanic. <laughs> in the game. And this nice. one's all my baby, and I'm super proud of this. So <laughs> on on the podcast on here. Um, we asked you to come along so you so you can brag about yourself. So don't feel bad about. <laughs> I, I, I'm just to, I'm just not a I'm not a person stuff. who talks about myself like that a lot. No, no, under, understandable. <laughs> I'm not great at I'm not great at that. So I'm good at saying buy my stuff. I'm bad at talking about why you should buy my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I can so, understand that. Uh, like I don't like to toot my own horn too much. Well, it's easy for me to say hey. buy this book because you know my editor's fantastic, my artists are fantastic. The contributors are fantastic. Like I can say everybody but me involved is amazing. So go buy my book. Um, well, by extension, the book is amazing and that's why you right. should buy it. So there you exactly. Go. I don't have to talk about myself. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. this mechanic. So in the, if you're familiar with the Schlock mercenary comic, it follows a group of mercenaries. And we made the decision early in the game that the players should play the command staff of a mercenary company. Right. You're like the captain, the quartermaster. You're, you're the first officer, the captain, the quartermaster. You're the command staff. Okay. Um, and every player has a fire team of grunts that follows them around because you're a commander, right? You hmm. lead people. So you got three grunts and you name them and come up with personalities for them. There's like a little part of your sheet. But there's a mechanic called a blade of meat. It's the blade of meat shield mechanic. And what happens okay. is if you get shot, you can make one, you can spend a rip, a role playing point to make a grunt jump in the way. Because <laughs> they got to protect the commanding officer, they jump in the way. Um, and what happens is you have to then tell the GM their hopes, dreams, and, you know, like three <laughs> things about them. Like, why are they a mercenary? What are their hopes, their dreams, you know, whatever. Um, and their name and stuff. And then the GM flips a coin and there's a 50% chance they die after oh. you've given them all this information. 
Wow. And he and he tears up a note card in front of your face with their information on it. It's like, yeah, you it's killed brutal. Jimmy Job, right? Um, oh, and usually it's played for comedic effect because it's kind of a dark, uh, darkly comic, uh, a darkly humorous comic. Um, mm-hmm. But if they survive, they get uh, a check mark. You just put a little check mark by their name. And when your character dies, you pick a grunt and play them. And for oh, every cool. time they've survived, you promote them and they get bonus stuff during character creation. Oh, that's awesome. So you're actually building your future characters and learning about them as you play your current character in the background. That's nice. a really wow. great balance between like that allows you to cycle through characters without having to re-roll from scratch and also giving you a leg up when you jump in and you're not starting from, you know, a blank slate every time. That's, yeah, that's I'm really super cool. Steve. We, we demoed it for Steve Jackson of Steve Jackson games. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. and, uh, he, he turned to me after the game and this was one of the highlights of my life. He said, I think you could run any game well, but this game is amazing. Nice. <laughs> That's great. Nice. Wow. But then he said, you out-traveled Traveler's character creation. <laughs> oh, you man. managed yeah. to start character creation earlier in the process than Traveler did. And it's easier. Yeah, wow. and I don't know how you did that. <laughs> oh, and brilliant. that was that was one that's of the highlights great. of my life. Nice. Yeah. And it really cap- kind of captures the feeling of the comic, too. I can I can really feel that. No game makes everybody happy, right? Like, Of course. But the most part, the praise from comic fans has been fairly unanimous in that the game really makes you feel like you're in the comic. Perfect. Yeah, that's great. Um, sidetracking here. Yeah, of I, course. I recently found out that I have a six degree of, you know, of separation between a lot of people in the industry because <laughs> my uncle knows pretty much everybody who's anybody. <laughs> my my uncle lives down in in Dallas. He doesn't develop or anything, but somehow he knows like all these people. He's w- real good friends with Steve Jackson. Um huh. he he he's known and communicated with George R R Martin before he was anybody. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like it it goes down to these, you know, past histories with my uncle and everything. That's funny. So it's amazing how small the world really is when you dig in. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. He, he came and visited, he was passing through town. Um, and you know, he, he was just like, Oh yeah, I did Steve Jackson. And he, he was just talking about like, you know, this story with, I was like, wait a second. You mean, you mean Steve Jackson, Steve Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, yeah, that, that guy. So yeah, back enough of my, yeah, it's, it's, you know, as a fan of the RPG industry, I didn't I didn't quite realize how far into it I've gotten. You're like, oh, how far underwater you are? Until a Gen Con this year, I went back to the booth where we were selling Planet Mercenary, and one of the booth people was like, hey, so uh, Steve Jackson came by and left his card for you because he wants to talk to you. <laughs> and I was like, "That's that feels weird, but okay. <laughs> it feels weird. That's just... Whatever. Yeah. And then, like, it happened, like, and I walked by a booth with my wife, and somebody's like, hey, you're Alan Barr. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and, then, and then they're like, let me give you my card. And I'm like, "How? I don't know you. Who are you? How do you know my name? <laughs> um, and this Gen Con, like, every other time I came back to the booth, like, somebody came by to talk to you. Here's a card. I was like, what, what happened? Where did... Where did are we parked in front of a That's hydrant? Awesome. What do you mean? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just Alan. I make little games. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's, that's amazing. It, it was sort of the, the Steve Jackson meeting was sort of the threshold where I was like, oh, huh. I'm in farther than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can get back out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mark, you had a question about Kickstarter? Oh, yeah. I, I was just. Uh, Curious. I mean, you mentioned earlier a little bit about uh, how it uh, how it went, but uh, I'd I'd just love to hear about how that whole process felt and how it went and what your experience was with uh, with dealing with Kickstarter. Uh, Kickstarter is both the greatest thing to happen to the game industry and one of the worst (laughs) Um, simultaneously. Uh, It enables people like me who want to run small businesses to, you know, be successful. It's expensive to make a role playing game. Mm-hmm. and the Kickstarter system allows the small guy like me to be successful. Um, and I love it. It's hard because it's easy to burn somebody on Kickstarter and it's sort of a community effort. So when somebody else in the role-playing industry burns somebody, it impacts my customer base indirectly, right? Mm. 
because we're sharing the same customers on the same platform, even though we're really not like you get, you get what I'm saying? Like it's, yeah, it's sort of, it's sort of this, it made the community tighter in a sense. And it, it sort of impacts the whole customer base, even though I'm not selling necessarily the same person. Cause my games are different than X game. X game goes up belly up or something that filters into my group. Yeah. Right. If people if people don't trust Kickstarter in general, they're not likely to back your project in particular, even though right. you delivered nothing but successes. The the platform becomes the issue, not the actual creator in yes. a large right. sense with Kickstarter, right? Mm-hmm. And part of that's brandy and part of that's whatever. Um and I've been lucky, all my Kickstarters have been more successful than the previous ones. Like I've had no no issues. Um and my fans have been fantastic. Uh, I got lucky. I I don't want to say I got lucky. I did well, and I delivered my first Kickstarter three months early, and that earned me a lot of goodwill with my fans and customers. So I've been able to yeah, keep keep that alive by being right. earlier on time. So yeah, so kick, I mean the Kickstarter Kickstarter is like launching a Kickstarter is like spending the whole day getting punched in the junk repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> you you feel nauseous. You feel sick. You can't stop refreshing your computer screen. Uh, yeah. It's it's. It's, it's, it's panic. You're like, am I going to fund? Like my first Kickstarter, we didn't fund for three days, right? Uh, yeah. Which yeah. we didn't fund for three days. We funded in three days. That's amazing by anybody's standards, <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm over, I'm over here going, oh, what if we don't fund? Like, what if people start unbacking because we're not funding fast enough? You know, and then we funded it. I'm like, oh, crap. Okay, we funded. Now I have to make the game. <laughs> right. Right. That was uh, even worse. What if yeah. I messed up now? Right. And, oh, man. And that, so that was traumatic in and of itself. Um, and then, like with the latest one, Tiny Dungeon, we funded in seven minutes or something. Oh yeah, <laughs> wow! We got like five k in like seven minutes. It was absurd. Mm-hmm. Like by the end of like day two, like our funding goal was five thousand. I think we had like twenty five thousand by the end of the second day. <sighs> like I've never had a project wow. fund that fast. Like it was literally like I ran out of stretch goals in the first hour, and I had to come <laughs> up with new ones. <laughs> and I'm like, oh crap! Now I'm too successful. Like, what if this makes the book too big? What if my budget's off because the cost of the book goes up? Mm-hmm. What if, what if I can't afford all this? What if there's too many pieces and I drop it as a project? So all of a sudden, my level of too much success has now caused a complete mental break. <laughs> oh yeah. So Kickstarter, yeah, Kickstarter's. Imagine. This is why I say Kickstarter's the best and the worst thing that happens. It lets me run my business, but every time <laughs> I run a Kickstarter, it's like 30 days of crazy. Imagine. I, I don't know why my wife is still married to me. <laughs> but, I, I run like four a year. Wow! Like, so there's the four months out of the year. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm just nuts. I can imagine. Oh yeah, yeah. That you know that reminds me of a uh, friend of the show, Justin Saroyce. I don't know if you've heard of him. He, uh, he's been in there on Kickstarter. Um, he did the Dungeon Dealer cards. Yeah, I'm, fami- I'm familiar of, with that project. Yeah, you know, y- y- do you know how many projects he does in a year <laughs> they're smaller but it's like he said his wife constantly goes you need to stop doing this because <laughs> he comes out with something new every other month or so yeah but you it, know, it, it's it be smaller or, it's hard you know. right we're small i make i make 80 percent of what my game's gonna make on kickstarter yeah you know mm-hmm. like i have good sales all of my games are bestseller status on drive through but That's uh awesome. I mean, I don't, I don't make nearly as much after Kickstarter, right? Like, Kickstarter is what lets me do this full time. Without Kickstarter, I don't, I don't know if I could afford to do this full time. Wow. No, no, absolutely. It's, you know, it's, it's given a lot of people that opportunity to do this. You know, to have that passion to do. And and like anything, it, it can give the wrong things. people the opportunity, right? Oh, of absolutely. Yeah, and and I think that's you know people, people consumers are kind of misinterpreting a lot of that stuff. You know, they're misinterpreting these good people that, that are, you know, doing this because they love it. And then there's the question of, you know, companies who are big, who keep doing Kickstarters too, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I don't understand. At what right. point do you wean yourself off? A, I'd love to get off a Kickstarter. I would love to have a customer base where I could just run a pre-order mm-hmm. and that'd be enough. Right. Like Sentinels right. of the Multiverse, those folks over at Greater Than Games did it did great. They they did a couple Kickstarters, and they're like, okay, we are gonna try taking it off Kickstarter. We're just gonna do a pre-order with stretch goals on our website, and they did that for all their expansions, but the very last one, which they brought back to Kickstarter because it was you know, much bigger. They had higher ambitions, mm-hmm. um, and, that, and I'd love to be at that boat someday where I can just run a pre-order campaign on my website, right? Yeah, and, and not have to be on Kickstarter. Definitely. Yeah. And, and people like these, these bigger box companies uh, like Steamforge games or, you know, a couple other people, you know, Steamforge games came out with the dark souls, right? Playing game or 
board game, yeah, essentially. Yeah. Um, but it's like, you know, the the ridiculous amount of success that that had proves that they don't need to be on Kickstarter. You know, I think I think stuff like that. I'm always leery of telling another company what they should and shouldn't do because I don't know their back end and their in their what's going on on the of inside, course. right? Like, I don't want to point fingers at specific companies ever. Um, I will say yeah. making games is really expensive and like when we like what I what I I don't what I make on a Kickstarter I make enough but like you don't see you know most especially a board game where you got minis and stuff I don't I mean I don't know if they're seeing anything less than 20% of that you know like that's true between shipping and printing and molds and like a miniature board game that stuff's expensive I've looked into that that's not cheap yeah like mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I'd have to see their budget and stuff, right? I don't know what they look like. So right, of course. I'm always leery to say, yeah, they might raise 200 million, but you know, if they're spending 180 of that on, you know, production, right? And that really, yeah. But re- kind of what I'm saying with those bigger box companies that have that audience that is going to buy it no right. matter what, I wouldn't say don't be on Kickstarter, but I would say they probably don't need to be because they already have that following you know yeah and that's it kind of shadows these smaller more indie indie starters and and that's that's entirely true you know but the the hard part from a business perspective is anytime you switch platforms you lose customers true right so you got to make sure you have a plan to retain or increase customer growth after switching platforms good point fair enough right like and you you lose the built-in marketing aspect of kickstarter kickstarter does some easy marketing for you like all my followers get notified when i launch a project i don't have to send out an email blast um they if they like my project they'll promote it on their page for me i don't have to do anything like that's true people can people are already people who don't know me are traveling here to look at other games or going to see my stuff right you lose a lot of that so it's a it's a hard sell right like and then that's I, I will never judge a company who remains on Kickstarter, but I definitely personally would love to be off Kickstarter one day. No. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Like it's a, it's, it's a hard business to begin with and Kickstarter has made it easier and harder at the same time. <laughs> yeah, no, I can, I can definitely imagine, imagine that. Um, Steve, do you have any questions? You've been kind of quiet. Um, no, I'm, I'm just He's choking just it all in it. right now. Yeah, no, 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 we're good. <laughs> I'm loving it. Mark, do you have any you have any questions? Um, I know you might have had one more about Cold Shadows. Actually, yeah, I'd, you know, kind of like to bring it back to Cold Shadows a little bit. And please, uh, we talked about it the least. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, one of the things I found the most exciting about the game is um, the the agency development. Um, okay, I I I'm kind of familiar. I, I played some a lot of Star Trek role playing games. Yes, good Trek, man. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but and Star Trek kind of has that with, you know, you have your ship and you uh-huh. know, no matter who plays, that's your ship. And, you know, that kind of ties everything together. Um, but with full shadows, you've really taken that ball and run with it in terms of, you know, creating an agency. And that agency has aspects that that pretty clearly define the, the tone of your game. Um, is that a fair assessment? Is that, uh, I, I think so. Goal? I mean, the, o- the opening line in the book, the first outside of the instruction, the very first line in the rules text is agents are expendable, but agencies endure forever. The, the whole goal, of the, like the goal of the game is <laughs> when you look at a spy game and you look at a standard role playing game, people get attached to characters. They don't want their character to die. Right. right. Like generally speaking, that is a, I think aside from a, a certain games, I think that's a generally safe assumption. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted a game where dramatic character death was just as rewarding as playing the same character. And to do that, we made the agency the main character. By moving the focus from the individual agent to the agency, if your agent dies, you're still a member of the same agency. You still get all the benefits you put into the agency, right? Like, we've sort of just tried to shift it up a level. So when the narrative compulsion for your character to kick it in an awesome mechanical, you know, whatever happens story-wise way comes up, you're willing to take it because you have that safety net of the agency. You know that's actually the focus. And that death may even help you increase your agency. Right. To, make, or, to, to help know, your player, your, to help your next character. Right. Like the, the goal was to say by making the agency the focus, we free up players to use their agents in new and interesting ways that they wouldn't normally embrace. That's great. Yeah. Uh, so I, I realize we've been somewhat selfish 
we know what Cold Shadows is and what it's about. Uh, Alan, can you give us a little bit of a synopsis about um, about what the premise is? Cold Shadows is what we call a narrative espionage role playing game. So it's uh, it's a mechanic. The mechanics focus on storytelling. It's about spies, specifically the type of tensions you found in the Cold War. It's not saying it's only set during the Cold War. We actually don't set a specific time frame on the game because it's so narrative. I don't want to put this. So it's a very mechanically, it's like it's like medium crunch, but all the crunch applies to narr- narration. And I'll explain how yes. in a minute. Like, so don't think like, it's not narrative like fiasco, right? Where there's no real rules to the game. It's it's definitely it's definitely as crunchy as like fate or even more crunchy than fate I'd say probably. Okay. Um yeah. But it but it's as narrative as fate is. And uh so it's it's about tension and betrayal. It's about the the part of the spy life that role playing games don't do good at adapting because it ruins parties, right? Like <laughs> you, they always right. say don't betray the party because it's just not worth it. <laughs> Well, we wrote a game where that's actually mechanically there's a there's a thing for that, and it's encouraged because that's the kind of story the game is built to tell. It's definitely a game you want to play with a group that you trust, and everybody's going to be an adult. <laughs> yeah, like don't don't play with that guy. I think I actually say that several times. I'm like, if you're playing with that guy, just kick him out. Like, yeah, this is not and a game for that guy. We all know who that guy is. Right. Hey, wait a sec. <laughs> so why they haven't been inviting me back <laughs> um so mechanically no, the way no, the game... we, we love steve oh yes. good. he's not that guy <laughs> good um mechanically the way the game works is it's a d6 pool system so you have a stat you have aspects similar to fate um and you have so you gather this pool of d6s and you'll set so let's say i'm doing something um, let's say I'm trying to hack a computer um, and I have 10 D six in my pool for whatever reason, the target number for any unopposed task is always 10. That's just it. 10. Um, which you're like, well, why do I need 10 D six? That's a guarantee. Well, this is how it works. So instead of rolling for a binary outcome in this game where the narrator will tell you what happens, um, you roll for what's called privilege, which is the right to tell the narrative yourself. So I would take my D10s and I would say, I'm going to roll these five as my roll. These other five, I'm going to keep back in my hand. So I roll five. Oh, look, I got a 10 on five D6, shockingly enough. Um, I now have privilege, which means my character, the player, gets to say what happens when I hack this thing. I get to say, I am successful. I get the documents you know, with some more narration around that. Or I could say, oh, you know what would be really interesting? If I get, if I botch this and they detect me in their system, I can do that. I get to determine as the player success and failure for my character based on the narrative. That's awesome. Right? So all of our mechanics are around that idea. They're not around things like weapon damage and hit points and stuff. They're around the idea of narrative control. You want to know what betraying somebody looks like in this narrative? There's rules for betrayal and how the narrative control of betrayal should work. There's rules for how trust between spies should work and what the narrative implications of that are. These are these are guide rails to help you tell a narrative story on the right road, basically. Hmm. But all of oh, yeah. all of the guide rails are for narration, not for like mechanical application, right? Definitely. Hmm. Which is great. It makes it smoother and easier to teach and learn and play too. So yeah, yeah it, it's definitely a game that if you're used to the binary GM decides sort of RPG, mm-hmm. it's definitely rough the first couple of times. It's a, it's, it's really a mindset switch. You have to, you have to shift yeah. your whole approach to storytelling, right? Of course. It, it's, a, it's a completely different way of telling right. a story. You're in charge of the action and the outcome. Whereas in D and D, you know, you're just in charge of the action and the GM the narrates action. the outcome. True. Exactly. Um, uh, this this is far less binary. D and D is like kind of pass fail. This one is very much a, you know, a, a, a sliding scale of whatever you want it to be. <laughs> True. Um, so those five dice I kept in my hand in our previous example, right? I rolled five. I got my ten. Every one of those is called a wager. And for each wager I saved on a successful roll, I get to narrate one additional thing that's true about the scene. Now, interestingly, oh. I, I I saw kind of a connection with that and. Uh, the 
the raises in 7C. As I said, we're, yep. we're familiar with that. There, there seemed like there was a little bit of a similarity there. Yep. Uh, Blood and Honor, again, by John Wick, who wrote both games. Sure. Shares a lot of the same. The new 7C second edition shares a lot of the same uh, I, but DNA, in a sense, with Blood and yeah. Honor and that yeah. idea. Mm-hmm. I, 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 when I read 7C 2E and I looked, I'm like, this feels a lot like Blood and Honor. Like, I'm like, I can definitely. <laughs> this was written by the same guy, obviously. Like, yes. I can see. I can see that. I can see that, you know, thread. But uh, so, yeah, so when I say it's a narrative game, what I really it really does, it puts the narration in the hands of the player. Right. Yeah, that that reminds me, Mark, that reminds me of something that you've done. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I, I it, um, I've developed a, a game myself uh, called <laughs> Steam Spy, which is also espionage, obviously steampunk. <laughs> but my focus was on um, creating a game that two players can play without a GM and which obviously ties right into the martini mode of, of your game of cold shadows, <laughs> which ties so, right back into Toby Abad in a single moment. Yes. <laughs> yes. It does. He, he wrote all of those, um, which ties into Kevin Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're back around. No. Uh, so yeah. one of the things I wanted is so reflections by Jim McClure based on a single moment is good. I mm. think a single moment is amazing. I think I think Toby's work on a single moment is fantastic. Uh, it's I love it so much that I signed Toby so I could be his publisher. Nice. I, I consider Toby one of the best talents working in the game industry right now. And I came to Toby and I said, Toby, we're doing spies. And I love a single moment. I want you to take what we're doing with Cold Shadows. I want you to do a single moment by it for me in the rule book. I need a, I need a mode for one player with no GM, two players with no GM. I need a mode for one player, one GM. I need a mode for one player. Choose your own adventure style cold shadows. Mm -hmm. And Toby, Toby delivered the best chapters in the book. Mm. Like, so you can play cold shadows by yourself, literally by yourself. (laughs) You can play cold shadows with you and a GM, or you can play cold shadows with you and a buddy. That's awesome. Yeah, and then there's the regular, you know, troop play with, you know, five or six players. Like it's Yeah, that's that's really great. It's fantastic. Toby did great work. Yeah. And those are some of my favorite chapters in the game. Yeah, Mark's working on some some rules for the, you know, the multiplayer GM list for his game. And uh the the narrative control thing is is uh, a similarity between both of those. Yeah, it's I I love that that whole um, play for narrative control kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I think it makes a lot of sense, right? Like it sort of moves the RPG bench posts and goal posts a different, mm-hmm. in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think role-playing games on a personal level, I think role-playing games should be about challenging yourself, you know, in some way. And uh, I really, I really love games that move the benchmark that way. I like that. Yeah. No, that, that it's it's amazing. It's great. I love those, you know, non-standard mechanics. You know, all those things that that a developer includes in their game that's not like anything that you've ever seen before. You know, and it's it's great. Any ideas for the future? You don't have to tell us what. Oh, but just oh no, yes I, or no. You want to? Yeah, yeah. So we've got tons coming down the pipeline at Gallonite Games. I am a busy dude. Um, Good. I, in, uh, let me tell you how busy in 18 months I have released 11 role-playing games. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. So we have a couple lines. We have our tiny D six line. We do about two of those a year. Um, right. tiny wastelands is coming early next year, which is post-apocalyptic. Very cool. Mm-hmm. It's uh, designed to do Mad Max fury road. There's settlement management stuff in there. Car management stuff, all in a very minimalist package. Huh. Like I think all the rules are like 20 pages. For all of That's that. Awesome. Um, uh-huh. And then uh, we've got uh, Moods of the Mad King just came out. It was a card game, like a kind of a love letter esque style micro game. Okay. Okay. Um, you get that on Drive Through RPG actually through print on demand. Uh, that was one we did with Nocturnal. Uh, I'm I'm very proud of that game. I I think it was I think it's fantastic. Um, and then uh, so we got more tiny games coming. I mean, I've written tiny wastelands, tiny supers, tiny dystopias, tiny monsters, tiny gunslingers, uh, tiny noir, tiny pulp, tiny. Uh, what's the other one? There's a third tiny frontiers book I've written. There's a lot. These are all done. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, how many? How many of those are released? Uh, none of them. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I've got tiny books for the next three years. <laughs> That's awesome. That's uh, and then uh, Cold Shadows expansion. Uh, that'll come at some point. I kind of want to get the, the game time to get out there, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I'd love to do the the Psychic Spies. Um, and I want to I give more of an X-Files bent in that expansion to Cold Shadows, I think. Makes sense. Um, yeah. Then there's... Oh, man, so many games. Uh, so I'm a part owner in Ragnarok Publications. That's a fiction publisher. They publish genre mm-hmm. fiction like dark fantasy, uh, sci-fi, stuff like that. Oh, wow. Um, and we're starting to do tie-in role-playing games with some of our books and comics we do over there. Um, so those are going to be coming out. Uh, Magnum Vice Fury Force just came out. That nice. is one of our Gallant Pocket Games. We have a line of micro RPGs called Gallant Pocket Games, and they're all basically I write them when I'm bored because I want to try <laughs> new because I want to try new mechanics or new ideas. Oh yeah, okay. and uh, they're uh, so like Pieces of Eight is a pirate RPG that just uses D8s. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Mark Mark got that with the Kickstarter. Yeah. Oh yeah, I get that PDF out for he, free with uh, yeah, Tiny right. Dungeon, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So that's a, that, that was a fun experiment. Nobody had ever done a D eight based pirate RPG, which seemed like a huge miss to me. And they huh. couldn't, and they could have called it pieces of eight. I was like, what, what the crap? Anybody else think of this? Yeah. So like, oh, that's, that's like a, right. So you're always like that one guy had the brilliant idea that nobody else apparently thought of it. It's super obvious. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. So that's a gallant pocket game. Uh, we've got once upon a legend, which is a diceless GM, a uh, diceless one player, one GM Kung Fu hip hop role playing game. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> and uh, does it uses cards? You have to buy the cards. Um, but it's, uh, it's a, oh darn! Yeah, right. I think I think the I think the cards are like a buck a pack. <laughs> yeah, and the the book is three dollars in print. Like nice. Uh, that's all. On, all of this is on drive through. Uh, we just signed with this store distributor, so the stuff will start showing up in stores. But um, and then there's Magnum Vice Fury Force, which is my love letter to the '80s that I didn't grow up in. <laughs> um, but it's uh, the classes are things like badass and hacker guy and uh, grizzled cop and you have starting equipment like the badass starts with a uh, desire to kick ass and chew bubble gum and then the next line of the equipment <laughs> checklist is no gum nice <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the, the grizzled cop starts with the knowledge that if you pull a stunt like that one more time the captain will have your badge <laughs> and then there's like a table of totally rad 80 skills that you roll on to see what you have. You can end up with like waterfall training montage as a skill or car hood sliding. <laughs> wow. Um, it's, Great. it's absurd. It's a totally absurd role-playing game. Mm-hmm. And it uses like a super modified version of the tiny D six engine. Hmm. Yeah, that's really, okay. cool. um, very cool. Oh, and this is my favorite part. It has, uh, it uses my new tats initiative system. <laughs> okay. Totally awesome theme track system. <laughs> And what you do is every player picks a theme song for the character and they write it on their character sheet. Okay. And when you start combat, you put all those songs on a playlist plus one for the bad guys. I recommend the bad boys song from, ah. uh, you know, bad boys, mm-hmm. but there's other ones too. And then you hit shuffle and play and whatever song comes up first, that person goes first. When they're done, you hit next. <laughs> you literally That's shuffle awesome. up a music playlist with a song for everybody and go. That's great. That is great that's brilliant yeah i love it it's so it's a super absurd i think the the print on demand is like six bucks for the the soft cover or something it's like 40 pages Hmm. awesome but uh yeah so we're busy i keep busy you get all these games already there's more coming i'm sure you have your own page on drive-thru yes it's uh (laughs) gallon night games well tell tell the listeners where they can find you Sure. Gallant. So uh, under Gallant, so Gallant Night Games is on Facebook as Gallant Night Games. We're on Twitter as Gallant K Games. Um, you can find me on Twitter as at Alan Barr. Uh, you keep my Facebook pretty private. You won't find me on there. Um, you can find me on the internet on my blog at www.alanbar.net. We also have GallantNightGames.com. And then uh, you can buy all my stuff on drive-thru and you should just buy one of everything. It's great. You'll love it. <laughs> Cheaper by the day. I hope there's a one of everything button. There's not, <laughs> but I should make, I should see if I can get one. Like I wonder if I could do a bundle for like one of everything. Cause after, after this episode goes out, everybody's wanting one of everything. Oh, there we go. I yeah. hope so. I hope so. <laughs> oh man. There's an, I celebrate the man's entire catalog button that you can click that just dumps it all in. <laughs> you know, there are companies that I would use that for though. <laughs> yeah. Right. True. That's not, 
that's not um yeah i would i would use that button <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. They need a button that where you can like update catalog. Like yeah, yeah. Like oh, I already yeah. bought their catalog. Now I need to just buy all the stuff that I haven't bought yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or a subscription service. Like I would pay somebody to send art, new RPGs and lines I like to my house when they come out. Like mm. I would pay for an RPG subscription service if somebody ran one. That makes sense. Well, hey, if you're knocking out that many per year, you could do one. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to do one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm really busy. Fair. But if Definitely. somebody, I would pay somebody else. Like I love the new Star Trek Adventures. Mm-hmm. Like I would pay somebody monthly, like a monthly fee, to just mail it to me when it comes out. And that's it for this episode of Tabletop Radio Hour. Like always, you can find this episode on SoundCloud.com/slash/TabletopRadioHour and on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter at TabletopCast if you have any questions or comments. We also have an email address. That is tabletopradiohour at yahoo.com. Our website, tabletopradiohour.wordpress.com. You can find information about our Patreon page on our website. I want to thank you all for listening, and keep rolling 20s.